0: Our topic uh, tonight and next week is covenant. Uh, I teach a course on covenant theology at the seminary which is all of uh, 24 hours of lectures on covenant theology. So uh, this is very much an abbreviated uh, summary of uh, something that could uh, entertain us for uh, an entire semester and then some. Uh, And uh, tonight I want to look at the topic uh, in a general way, uh, in an overall way, and then uh, next week I want us to look in more specific detail at some of the covenants. Uh, Covenant of works in the Garden of Eden, covenant with Noah, covenant with Abraham, covenant with Moses, covenant with David, and uh, the new, the promise of the new covenant in uh, Jeremiah 31. Now I need to explain why we're doing covenant here and uh, we've, we've been looking at the doctrine of God and more recently we've been looking at the doctrine of man uh, and uh, last week uh, uh, saw the conclusion of a, of a number of uh, studies on the doctrine of sin. As we segue, as we move from the doctrine of sin to the doctrine of the rescue from sin, how, how are we redeemed from our sin, uh, the answer to that is God enters into fellowship with sinners. How does God enter into fellowship with sinners? Uh, how long has God been contemplating entering into fellowship with sinners? And the answer to all of those questions uh, relates in one form or another to covenant uh, this is a this is a transition now from uh, man in his plight in his sin in his in his inability uh, to what will be the next block of lectures uh, on on Jesus on the person of the mediator uh, and and trying to cement those two together is a study Uh, of God's covenant on the opening page. Page 1, I brought together five attempts at defining uh, in a sentence uh, what is a covenant. And uh, you'll see the second one uh, is uh, by none other than than Dr. Ferguson uh, in a book recently published on baptism. Uh, The covenant is a life and death kind of bond Signified and sealed by physical symbols. I'm not sure that Dr. Ferguson realized in writing that sentence it would be perpetuated thereafter as a definition of covenant. Um, But it's an attempt to uh, to summarize, to condense into a single sentence uh, what do we mean by uh, covenant? Uh, You'll see Philip Rikens' definition at the very top, a biblical covenant is a binding relationship in which God promises to bless and his people promise to obey. And at least in the circles that I move in, uh, the most famous definition of covenant is the one by Palmer Robertson, uh, a bond that should be in blood sovereignly administered, a bond In blood, sovereignly uh, administered. There may be a a slight difficulty with the idea that every covenant involves blood shedding in some uh, way or another, and we'll come back to that uh, a little later. Now, let's uh, let's dive in uh, to what is uh, covenant um, theology. Uh, What do we mean when we say we are studying uh, the doctrine of the covenant? And uh, the answer, the, the big answer to that, is that covenant theology is what we, what we sometimes call a hermeneutic. Uh, that is to say, it's a it's a way of, it's a way of making sense of the entirety of the Bible. We need a key that unlocks the whole of the Bible. That's a that's a big claim, of course, that there is a single key that can unlock and bring together in a harmonious way the story of the whole bible from genesis to revelation and perhaps take that story right back into eternity right back into as it were the hands of almighty god is there is there one key that unlocks the whole story so that no matter where you are in the bible story this this key unlocks what it is that's happening, what it is that God is doing, what God is promising, what God is threatening. That must be a phone and not actually a bird in here. Um, uh, the answer to that is the, the hermeneutic, the key that, that unlocks uh, is, is covenant, covenant theology. Uh, if you want another uh, term for it—it's uh, a meta-narrative. Now, in, in those of you studying English literature, some of your children or grandchildren are studying English uh, literature, uh, probably at college. Uh, they will—they will be more than familiar with the term uh, meta-narrative. Uh, there are—there are—there are, there are, uh, there are uh, presuppositions that we bring, as it were. Uh, there, there's a—there's a story that we bring to make sense uh, of the whole. Um, it's the big picture view, then, of God's uh, disclosure of himself. Uh, think of a map, a map of the United States of America, and uh, you look at that map, and I mean an old-fashioned map, a map of the en- entire uh, United States of America, and, and your eye will, will fall, maybe, on uh, certain uh, names, uh, Dallas, Pittsburgh, Columbia, Um, Seattle and and these names will come out of you and and you may miss in block capitals perhaps shaded capitals running right across the map the United States of America. You're focusing on on the single cities and you miss the big picture. All of this happens to be the United States of America. And that's a bit like how covenant functions. Covenant is is the big picture. Zoom zoom out uh, from the scriptures and and what's the key that that unlocks the whole? Uh, In a similar way, you may study uh, many things in the Bible. Uh, the promises of God. Uh, you may study the doctrine of uh, baptism. What does the Bible have to say about baptism? Or faith, or sin, or adoption, or the Levitical sacrifices, or Jesus, and so on. But what brings all of those studies, all of those individual topics, what brings them all together? Uh, is there is there a way of reading the Bible as One message that contains many messages Uh, and the answer is yes there is and it's covenant. Uh, One such hermeneutic then is to see that the story of scripture runs along creation and then fall and then redemption. That's That's a kind of big picture view of the story of the Bible. The doctrine of creation, the doctrine of the fall of man, and the doctrine of the recovery of man from that fall, the redemption of uh, of man. Uh, But you can pull back even further than that. Uh, As it were, an old-fashioned lens, and you you swivel the lens out a little more, uh, and ask, how does God communicate to us his plan and purpose? And the answer is, covenantally. Uh, the westminster confession uh, chapter 7 uh, in the 17th century when the westminster confession uh, was put together uh, covenant theology had come into its own it had been born uh, it was certainly apparent in the time of the early church fathers but it it resurfaced again uh, in the time of the reformation and uh, came into focus uh, in the seventh chapter of the westminster confession that the distance between god And the creature is so great that although reasonable creatures do owe obedience unto him as their creator, yet they could never have any fruition of him as their blessedness and reward, but by some voluntary condescension on God's part, which he hath been pleased to express by way of covenant. Uh, Go back to the uh, first page again. Look at some of the definitions A biblical covenant is a binding relationship in which God promises to bless and his people promise to obey. Uh, That's uh, in part what the Westminster Confession is saying. Uh, How how does the infinite, eternal, all-wise God enter into a relationship with tiny little man? Uh, And the answer is an initiative that he himself enters into... Creating a fellowship uh, with uh, mankind. Uh, So all relationships of God with his creation then are viewed as covenantal relationships. Now uh, let's look at these definitions Uh, uh, again. uh, A biblical covenant is a binding relationship in which God promises to bless and his people promise to obey it's a, it's a relationship, just as marriage is a covenant. It's a relationship. It, in, it involves a binding relationship uh, in which there are promises, promises and oaths uh, entered into, uh, oaths of, uh, of obedience uh, and, uh, and service and, and love. A sovereign administration of grace and promise, another fairly famous definition uh, by John Murray uh, a bond, and again that should be in blood, sovereignly administered uh, by Palmer Robertson, and uh, and one by, by J.I. Packer. A covenant relationship is a voluntary mutual commitment that binds each party to the other. So you get the idea that uh, uh, covenant is a, is, a, is a binding relationship. It's a relationship between two parties. And it, in, it involves certain obligations. Obligations on, on, both, uh, on both sides of, of, uh, of this covenant. And uh, we'll, we'll need to uh, examine that and, and uh, enlarge on that a little more. Uh, the basic idea on page three, the basic idea is a mutual Agreement, A mutual agreement. Now, there are covenants in the Bible. Uh, the word, the Hebrew word for covenant, berith, is, uh, is uh, a word that's used not just of covenants between God and man, but of uh, covenants between human beings. And there are several examples uh, in the Old Testament. Uh, Abraham and Abimelech, uh, after the Sarah uh, episode, there is a covenant between these two uh, individuals. Uh, Jacob and his uh, wily uncle uh, Laban. Uh, there's a covenant uh, between, between those two. Uh, David and Jonathan enter into a covenant, uh, a relationship, uh, a friendship uh, between each other. And then uh, the men of Jabesh Gilead and the Ammonites in 1 Samuel 11. So there are, there are examples in the Bible of uh, human covenants. Uh, there are also, as we shall see, uh, examples of similar covenants... Uh, in the ancient Near East, in the world outside of uh, the Bible story. Uh, and uh, there, are, there are examples of covenants between uh, kings and vassals, between kings and his, uh, and his uh, suzerainty treaties, uh, between kings and, and their subjects. Um, and, uh, and, and that too uh, we'll look at in a moment. Now as we look into the Bible itself, and uh, here... Uh, I just want to look at the big picture Uh, next week. I want to look at these in a little more detail, but I just want us to get the big picture first of all. Um, There is a covenant uh, with God and Adam uh, in the Garden of Eden. Now, the word covenant... Uh, does not occur in uh, Genesis uh, chapters uh, one, two, and three. Uh, in uh, the account of the relationship between God and Adam, say in Genesis chapter three, uh, the word covenant does uh, does not occur. Uh, but uh, two things have come to the surface. Uh, one uh, is uh, Hosea, uh, Hosea six. I think that should be seven, not four. Uh, hosea six uh, seven uh, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant, uh, like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. Now the Hebrew word uh, Adam can, can, mean, uh, can mean humankind um, as, as well as be a reference to the earth uh, and and uh, as well as a proper name for uh, for Adam himself, uh, but in the context of hosea six seven it seems more likely that Hosea is actually referring to an administration between God and Adam as a covenantal uh, administration, uh, using using this this specific word, berith. uh, So that there is a mutual agreement. There is a bond uh, that is established between God and Adam in the Garden of Eden. So that when you you read the story of Genesis 3, uh, we we should read it as... Uh, an example of a biblical covenant uh, the basic idea of that covenant with adam which we'll expand next week is that god promises to prolong and uh, augment uh, the relationship uh, provided that adam uh, is uh, ob- uh, provided adam observes this one uh, prohibition and uh, not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of Good and evil. There is that one stipulation uh, within that covenantal uh, administration in the Garden of Eden. And uh, all, all we know for sure, of course, is that Adam disobeyed and curses came upon him. Uh, had he obeyed the covenant, we therefore infer that blessings would come upon Adam. And that those blessings would not only prolong the relationship, but would in all likelihood augment that relationship and, and would have brought Adam uh, into a state of uh, even, even greater blessedness. So there's a covenant, according to Hosea 6 I'm almost certain that should be Hosea six seven, and not uh, my memory serves me right. Not uh, Hosea six four, uh, but there is a there is a, a covenantal relationship then in the Garden of Eden. The second, and this is the first use of the term covenant or berith in the Hebrew Scriptures, and that is in uh, Genesis chapter six, in relationship to uh, Noah. Uh, there is a, a covenant with Noah and his children. Just as the covenant in the Garden of Eden was with Adam and his children, with his posterity, so the covenant with Noah also involves his children. It is Adam, his wife, his three sons, and their wives. And the basic idea of the covenant with, with Noah, uh, it's a covenant of preservation. Uh, never again will God bring uh, the, the judgment that He brought upon the world, the catastrophic judgment uh, of, uh, of the flood. God commits Himself in Noah to preserve uh, the present order uh, of the world so that redemption, so that the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment uh, of God's covenant can be accomplished, and 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 there, with the story of Noah in Genesis 6, we we see God entering into a bond uh, with Noah and his children—a covenant of preservation. Then uh, the third covenant in the Bible is the covenant with Abraham, and you see. Uh, Uh, You see when he still called Abram in in, uh, Genesis 12, and then in Genesis 15, 17, and finally in Genesis 22, uh, over and over God uh, enters into uh, this covenant with Abraham and his seed. And again, uh, the basic basic idea is uh, God's uh, redemptive purpose now becomes clearer, it was his purpose all along, but it now becomes clearer that Abraham's descendants will become a nation, uh, the nation of Israel. Uh, it will secure a line, a physical line, uh, through which Messiah, the mediator of the covenant, will come. Uh, and God's promise, you remember in Genesis 15, that very solemn uh, ratification of that uh, of that arrangement that God makes with Abraham, uh, the severed, the severed carcasses, the the, the animal sacrifices that are divided into, and then that flaming uh, firepot comes down and, and passes through uh, the severed pieces of those animals. It, it is it is a visual uh, display of God entering into a kind of uh, self. Maledictory oath God saying this is what happens to me If I don't fulfill the terms of this covenant It was a kind of visual aid uh, that, that God was entering, entering into this covenant A covenant unto death as it were Till, till death is due part uh, And of course God cannot die uh, And therefore this, uh, this covenant is, is sure But it was, a, it was a very dramatic visual aid uh, of the seriousness with which god was entering into this uh, into this uh, covenant a covenant that has as its goal uh, the redemptive uh, purposes of god uh, god promising a family uh, to abraham uh, signing and sealing that promise with the with the sign and seal of circumcision uh, as well as this visual display of of the way uh, redemption would come, uh, and in Genesis 22, uh, he, he spares Isaac, the the firstborn son of Abraham, uh, providing a lamb in Isaac's place, and, and that was a kind of visual display of the way this covenant would be fulfilled. It would be through God not sparing his son. He spared Abraham's son providing a lamb, and that lamb is, of course, Jesus, uh, as the fulfillment of that covenant with Abraham. Then the next covenant is the covenant with Moses, uh, with Moses and the Israelites, with Moses and his children. Uh, and in Exodus uh, 3, 6, 19, 24, Uh, And note uh, in particular the implications for the children uh, within that covenant. Uh, They are are to teach the children uh, the ways, uh, the structure of that covenant. Uh, The basic idea of God's covenant with Moses is that man, uh, first of all, man cannot keep the covenant by himself. So the covenant with Moses involves law. Lots of law, the Ten Commandments, uh, uh, one of the Ten Commandments, according to my uh, four-year-old grandson this week, is you must brush your teeth every night. Uh, No, not that commandment, but the Ten Commandments, the Ten Words from from Sinai. uh, One part of that is to demonstrate that we can't keep the covenant, that we are lawbreakers, uh, that we are in need of a covenant mediator. Uh, But the other side of those ten words, uh, they provide for us the the structure of how those who receive the grace of God should live their lives. Uh, The blessings uh, God promises by by, uh, living within the terms of that that covenant life. Uh, Remember Jesus uh, says in the Sermon on the Mount that he had not come to destroy the law, but to uphold the law uh, in Matthew uh, 5, 17, 18, and, uh, and 19. He hadn't come to destroy the law, he had come to uphold the law, to fulfill uh, the law. The law uh, as uh, the guide for Christians, for those who have received grace and have been regenerated by God's Spirit, the law as a guide to show us how Christians should live in gratitude to God. So so the covenant with Moses does both of those things. It shows shows us we cannot keep the covenant by ourselves, but it also shows the pattern of covenantal gratitude uh, for those who have received uh, covenant mercies. Then the next covenant is the covenant with David. Uh, the, The word covenant... Uh, is not in uh, Second Samuel uh, chapter 22, or for that matter in Second Samuel 7, another passage, uh, but it is found in a reference to it in Psalm uh, 89 and verses 3 and 4. A covenant uh, with David, and the basic idea is a king... Uh, David as king but a king who is coming David as a type of a, of a of another king the king who is the mediator of the covenant uh, whose uh, sovereign uh, rule and reign ensures both the promise of redemption and the consequent uh, well-being of God's uh, people so you have you have these uh, punctuation points uh, in the course of biblical history uh, with Adam, with Noah, with uh, Abraham, with Moses, with David. Uh, all of them uh, extrapolating uh, different features of the one uh, covenant. Uh, the new, uh, and then the promise of the new covenant uh, in uh, Jeremiah. Uh, and we're very familiar uh, with the fulfillment of that in uh, the words of institution at the Lord's Supper. Uh, this bread Uh, This cup is the cup of the new covenant in my uh, blood which is shed for many for the remission of sin. So Jesus sees his own coming, work, life, death, resurrection uh, as part of the fulfillment of that new covenant promise given uh, by uh, Jeremiah in Jeremiah chapter 31. Again, the basic idea here is not uh, new in the sense of Totally different so that you have an old covenant that shows one way of salvation and a new covenant that shows another way of salvation Um, that's usually what lies behind the question that that you sometimes hear and maybe you you ask it yourself how were people saved under the Old Testament I'll give you a little little inside uh, secret Uh, when the seminary uh, that I, I taught at uh, uh, interviewed a prospective new uh, professor uh, no matter if he was a professor of Old Testament or New Testament or missions or history or systematic theology, uh, someone would always ask this very simple, almost like a Sunday school question I mean, really you're asking this question uh, how were people saved under the Old Testament? That was a, That was a standard sort of question to ask because the answer would show an enormous amount of where this person stood in terms of his understanding of covenant theology. And uh, covenant theology uh, is a big picture view of the whole Bible. It's not a a big picture view simply of the New New Testament era but of the whole Bible, suggesting that there is only one way of salvation. Uh, one, One mediator, one Jesus, promised, pictured, typified in the Old Testament and in the flesh in the New Testament. One way of salvation, by faith alone, in Christ alone, in the promised Christ alone, by grace alone, no matter if you were living in the days of Abraham or the days of Moses on on the foot of Mount Sinai or or in the time of King David uh, or, or whether you were John the Baptist or Paul or Peter or John or Andrew, there is only one way of salvation. Ever since, ever since God spoke to Adam in the Garden of Eden, there has only ever been one way of salvation. It was God's way of salvation from eternity. Uh, it, is, uh, it is new in the sense, uh, look at Hebrews 7.22, it is new in the sense of being a better uh, covenant. And uh, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 3 Uh, elaborates uh, on that, how is the new covenant better than the old, and uh, Paul stretches things almost to a breaking point uh, when he says uh, that in the new covenant the law is written on the heart, whereas under the old covenant it it was kind of external, not altogether external, but kind of external. Uh, The letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Uh, The glory of the law was transient. The glory of the gospel is permanent. Uh, Paul makes this uh, contrast between the old and new covenants. But that contrast is the contrast between between, uh, um, something that was shadow. Uh, uh, Some of you remember black and white TV. I I remember in 1957, I was four years old, uh, we had our first TV set and uh, some of you will remember um, uh, the first uh, program I think I ever saw uh, on TV was the Lone Ranger. Uh, with Tonto and uh, Kimosabi and um, I'm struggling now. That, that uh, what was the name of the horse? Silver. Silver. Uh, you're showing your age now. Uh, and uh, Dixon of Doc Green, which I'm sure Dr. Ferguson will remember about a very staid policeman. Uh, but all of that was in black and white. And and then and then you see 3D at IMAX. And uh, it's, it's like before and after, and when you see the 3D at IMAX, you, you sort of say to yourself, how could I possibly have lived simply with a black and white TV? <laughs> um, the new is so much better that it almost obliterates any value in the old whatsoever. Uh, and, I, and I think that's partly what Paul seems to be doing in 2 Corinthians 3. Um, but again, we'll, we'll expand on that uh, next week. Now, typical features of a covenant. A, a solemn ratification. Uh, think of Genesis 15, God passing through the severed pieces uh, of, the, of the carcasses. Uh, think of Mount Sinai with uh, all the solemnity of that. Uh, mutually binding agreements uh, promises, actually, on on both sides. Uh, covenant. A covenant involves two uh, persons, uh, two entities, two parties. Now that raises a, somewhat of a thorny issue: um, uh, biblical covenants and and. and t- Take a deep breath. We're going, we're going under. We're going to oxygen-deprived level for a second or two, and we'll come up in a second. Um, but biblical covenants are unilateral in the sense that they are unilaterally initiated. Uh, it's not a covenant in the sense of like a typical uh, you know, you come together. You have lunch. You have people on different sides of a room. One offers this, the other offers that. They're miles apart. They they break. They come in. They compromise. They say, "Well, we'll we'll go halfway if you go halfway." And no, and you go out again. And and there's dinner and come in and you and you barter and you end up with some kind of. compromise uh, at the end. No, biblical covenants are sovereignly initiated. Uh, Genesis 17, 7 is an example. I will establish my covenant between me and you. This is entirely and wholly exclusively God's doing. God initiates this covenant. Man does not initiate this covenant. He has no part in the initiation of this covenant. Here again is this uh, reformed thing coming in again, the sovereignty of God, right? That we see at every stage, and you see it at every stage of theology, reformed theology, uh, is is an all-encompassing thing. So at every stage, this issue of the sovereignty of God will uh, will rise. Uh, God's commitment here involves the totality of the redemptive process. So when God commits, when he initiates this covenant, he he initiates the covenant in such a way that he he assures the accomplishment of that covenant. He he doesn't just initiate the beginning of it or the middle of it, he initiates the beginning, middle, and end of it. So that uh, when we sang together, and, and, and you sang it and you and you sang it in such a way as though you meant it. Uh, the final verse, thy covenant in the darkest gloom shall heavenly rays impart. When I'm in the dark, I'm at the end of my tether, I can see no light in me whatsoever. Where is my, where is my certainty, where's my assurance going to come from? From God's covenant, that God has entered into a promise through his Son. And when my eyelids close in death, sustain my fainting heart. I think that's what Paul is doing in Romans 8 when he talks about those whom God did foreknow. He also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his son. And those whom he did predestinate, them he also called. And those whom he called, he also justified. And those whom he justified, he also glorified. What shall we then say to these things, if God before us, who can be against us? He that spared not his own son, and, and, and so on. Right? Paul, Paul has the big picture view of the sovereign initiation of the covenant. God has made a promise that stretches all the way back into uh, eternity. Now there's also, having said that the covenant is, is unilaterally initiated, the terms of that covenant are entirely God's doing, there's also, there's also a bilateral element to the covenant. God's people do not contribute to the construction of the covenant. Nevertheless, there are two parties with mutual promises Pledged unity, fidelity, and tenacity, God says, I require you to keep my law always. I am your holy Lord and judge. Now, I pinched something from uh, Dr. Ferguson's uh, wonderful chapter on his book on baptism, uh, which uh, kind of gives the basic covenant dynamic. God makes his covenant, his people respond to his covenant in faith or unbelief, and obedience and disobedience, and receive either blessing or cursing. And that that little diagram there should should help you understand the unilateral and bilateral um, uh, aspects of the covenant. Um, Now, the next section... Uh, we can sort of pass over, I think, the ancient Near East uh, there, just for your information, that there are covenants outside of the Bible in the ancient uh, Near East uh, suzerainty, treaties uh, between kings and vassals uh, that show a similar pattern to biblical covenants, uh, which came first, the chicken or the egg, uh, and uh, and I think that, um, uh, that in this case... Uh, ancient uh, Near Eastern uh, uh, covenants uh, actually mimic biblical um, covenants. Uh, I think that's uh, how I would put it, although uh, there are lots of uh, allegations uh, suggesting the opposite uh, out there. Uh, I want to um, draw uh, your attention to a word that I'm not sure is a word, but it's Jim Packer's word. I think it's a made up word. Uh, pantechnicon. Uh, that, uh, that uh, God's covenant is and, and if you've ever heard Jim Packer talk about covenants uh, as I have many times uh, I can almost hear him uh, say this word it's a pantechnical promise meaning it encompasses it's all embracing it's all embracing it encompasses a lot of things uh, that, is, that is encapsulated within this phrase I will be your God Uh, And that phrase, that promise, embraces everything. It embraces it all. Uh, I've given you a list of uh, references there uh, of that uh, promise, I will be your God. Uh, Just a reminder of Luther's, Martin Luther's uh, oft-cited statement uh, that Christianity uh, is about personal prepositions. I will be your God. He he is my Savior. Do you remember the definition of covenant? Entering into a relationship. I will be your God, you will be my people. That's the basic relationship. That's the basic covenant relationship. How is that possible for man in the plight of sin as we've been considering him in the last couple of studies? Uh, so that raises uh, conditional or unconditional. Uh, is the covenant uh, conditional or unconditional? Uh, and I, I, won't, I won't read that. Now let's, uh, let's look at this a little more. And uh, we may not get through it all. Uh, viewing the gospel covenantally. Let's see if we can get a big picture uh, understanding here of the gospel. Uh, if we say that the big picture is covenant, that means that the story of the Bible is a covenant story. Uh, that, the, that the whole story of the Bible is about a covenant revealed, ruined, and restored. Um, that, the, that, the, that the story of the Bible is about Actually, two principal covenants. A covenant of works with Adam, which failed, which Adam disobeyed, and there were consequences, and a covenant of grace. Um, That the covenant of grace operates throughout the whole of the Old Testament and the New Testament and our era until Jesus comes. Don't, uh, Don't make the mistake of attributing the covenant of grace simply to the period of the New Testament. The covenant of grace is, is, uh, is operative uh, from the moment of, uh, of Adam's fall. So there is a, a bi-covenantal structure in the Bible. A covenant of works with Adam and a covenant of grace in Christ and with his people. Um, so, th- so what I'm saying is, that if, if the big picture here, the, the key that unlocks the Bible, the whole story of the Bible is covenant. The whole story of the Bible from Adam's creation, from, from God's covenant with Adam which failed, and God's restorative covenant, the covenant of grace uh, f- from Adam uh, All the way through until Jesus' second coming, until all of God's people are are redeemed. The whole story is a story uh, of God's covenant, uh, revealed, ruined, and uh, restored. Uh, Christ as mediator and and guarantor uh, of the covenant relationship. Uh, We looked at this uh, text recently on Sunday mornings. Uh, this this makes Jesus the guarantor of a better covenant, uh, Hebrews uh, seven twenty two, or Hebrews eight six. Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more ex- that is much more excellent than the old, as the covenant he mediates is better, since it is enacted on better promises. In other words. Uh, these two verses, Hebrews 7 and Hebrews 8, are saying that you look at Jesus, you look at his, his incarnation, you look at his, his uh, conception, his birth, his life, his death, his resurrection, ascension, session at the right hand of God. You look at Jesus and you say, Jesus has come as the mediator, the guarantor of the covenant. Right? So, so the coming of Jesus is not some afterthought. It's not Plan B. Right? That's that's the problem with dispensational theology. Right? That's this, that's really the problem with with uh, with uh, you know the Ryrie Study Bible or something like that, because it suggests that God's real plan and purpose was with Israel, with ethnic national Israel. That's his that's his main purpose, and Plan B is the church. It's it's Jesus and the church. But but eventually it's going to get back to plan A again. So 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 this period in which we're in is a kind of is a kind of hiatus. It's a kind of afterthought. Uh, the covenant theology is saying the opposite. Covenant theology is saying it is all. Jesus is is the mediator of God's covenant from uh, from the very beginning. More than that, uh, let me let me push it back to what we were doing at the very beginning uh, of uh, of our time together. We began, you remember, with studying the doctrine of God. Uh, back in whenever that was, uh, beginning of January, February, somewhere around there, we were we were studying the doctrine of God. Well, if if the big picture, the key here is covenant, then then God must be understood as a covenant making covenant-keeping God. Um, now theologians uh, have uh, suggested here uh, that not only is is the way God deals with mankind on the stage of history covenantal, so, so there's a covenant of works with Adam and then a covenant of grace uh, with Abraham and Moses and David and and the new covenant. Not only is there there evidence of covenant on the stage of history, but the plan by which this history comes about is also covenantal. So that God entered into a covenant in eternity with his son. That covenant we we sometimes call the covenant of redemption. A pre- temporal, uh, eternal covenant between the Father and the Son, um, that the Father would glorify His Son by sending Him as the mediator uh, to, to save His people. So it shapes and that, of course, would involve the ministry of the Holy Spirit in, in, in applying the terms of that covenant to His people. So that means that even even the Trinity, even God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, also relates within Himself covenantally. So that so that the way God the God enters into a relationship with with human beings made in his image reflect something of the way God covenants within himself Father, Son and Holy Spirit well you've been down in the waters long enough and and you need to come back up now for some some, uh, uh, oxygen Uh, number five there uh, are Uh, just uh, just direct uh, quotes Uh, one one, uh, that you need to read tonight before going to bed with some horlicks or cocoa Uh, from uh, Gehardus Voss wonderful explanation of uh, of what the covenant means theologically Uh, and the others are taken from the Westminster Confession uh, from from chapter 7 of the Westminster uh, Confession now We began uh, tonight uh, by singing a hymn, a hymn by Philip Doddridge, uh, but there are other hymns too uh, that express doxologically uh, the covenant. Uh, Most famous of all, I think, um, among us would be uh, number C there by uh, Augustus Toplady, a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy I sing. So that the mercy of God in the Gospel, the mercy of God in Jesus Christ, is actually covenant mercy it 's part of god 's entering into a relationship, initiating that bond, promising and 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 pr- providing providing blessing uh, a, a, a debtor to mercy alone of covenant mercy, I sing. Uh, nor fear with thy righteousness on my person and offering uh, to bring. Uh, and then uh, Francis, um, that would be almost a hundred years later, Francis Ridley um, Haragel's uh, hymn, uh, Jehovah's covenant shall endure all ordered everlasting sure. Uh, Reference to the Davidic covenant. That uh, says that God has made a covenant ordered in all things and uh, and sure. Uh, But these are these are hymns uh, expressing uh, expressing the truth of God's uh, of God's covenant. Now that's uh, that's a big picture view of covenant theology. Um, That's like a fire hydrant, uh, I'm sure. Um, and i 'm sorry for that, uh, w- w- we need to be here for twelve hours to unpack all of that i 'm going to try and unpack a little bit of it uh, selectively next week and I want us to look at some of the biblical covenants uh, and i 'm going to cho- I'm, I, I want a time to look at all of them, but I want to look at some of the biblical covenants uh, next week and see how this uh, big picture operates uh, on, a, on, a smaller, uh, on a smaller scale now don 't forget. Don't forget questions. If you've got questions, uh, write them on that card and there's uh, there's a basket I think there for you to put them in or or bring them in next week or email them uh, to Sarah or you can send them directly to uh, the Facebook page um, uh, which is uh, fptheologyschool.com. that that website page that we've uh, we've set up and there's a place there for you to to ask your questions um, electronically, or um, you can just you can just ask it verbally, and I'll take it down by shorthand. How about that? Let's uh, let's pray together. Father, we uh, have tried to encompass everything that you are and everything that you promise to do, past, present, and future, and uh, we've tried to do that in uh, less than an hour. And it's demonstrated to us how small and puny we are in comparison to the greatness of who you are. We catch a glimpse in the scriptures of a covenant uh, between you, our Heavenly Father, and you, our Lord Jesus Christ, that from before the foundation of the world you set your affection upon us, promising to save us and rescue us through Uh, the obedience and death of our Lord Jesus as the guarantor of the covenant and the mediator of the covenant. We thank you, Lord, that in the pages of the Old Testament we catch a glimpse of the promise of the means by which that covenant will be achieved and the obligations that fall upon us as those who have received the blessings of the covenant. And we pray, Lord, this evening... That's something of the doxology that results from it. A heart that wants to sing of your covenant and of your covenant mercies. And of a promise which is sure and amen in Jesus Christ and that cannot be broken. So that we too with the Apostle may be assured that having begun a good work, you will complete it unto the day of Jesus Christ. You have entered into a self Maledictory oath, promising unto death that you will fulfill the terms of the covenant and bring to pass that which you have promised. So help us, O Lord, in response to the grace that you have revealed to us in the covenant mediator to live out our lives in awe of you and in love for you and giving ourselves away entirely to you, lock, stock and barrel. So grant your blessing, we pray, we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen.